John chapters 18 and 19, verses 12 through 19, 16. Um, go ahead and turn your Bibles there. This is also the passage that Brother Justice is going to be preaching out, so you'll be there. And if you could stand with me in the honor of reading God's holy word. John 18, 12 through 19, 16. So a band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did the disciple, or so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl, who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You are, uh, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple, where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas said, or Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you with him in the garden? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered the headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, I am a Jew. Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am king. For this purpose... I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? 
After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate said to Jesus, or sorry, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, king of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and set him down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So they delivered him over to them to be crucified. So after about 11 months, here we are, nearing the crucifixion. The past several months, you may remember, we've been days away, hours away, and here we are at the trial. This trial is, is not an ordinary trial, as we'll see tonight, as we'll see today. In fact, in this particular trial, it is not just any person that is on trial, but it is God himself, the Son of God, who is standing trial. Today we'll see three different challenges that come out of this passage. We'll see that there's a challenge to be a faithful witness. We'll see that there's a challenge to choose the true king. And we'll see that there's a challenge to realize that we are the ones who yelled to crucify him. As we open up this passage, the, the, the beginning of this section here kind of starts with some introductory remarks, kind of in a way introducing the characters 
that will play out in this particular story, in these particular events. Uh, remember we saw that, that or, or Todd had shown you that Jesus was a, when Jesus was arrested, all the events that took place at his arrest. And here we are, right after the arrest, Jesus is taken to stand trial. So it says in verse 12, So the hands of the soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews answered Jesus and bound him, or arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It's interesting, the way John does this, to kind of help understand some of the structure, so we can help kind of understand what John is doing, why he's choosing this particular method. Um, you'll see some people are not named, right? It's the soldiers and the officers and this people. And then you have Annas and Caiaphas. In fact, throughout the rest of this section, the only other people we have really named is Jesus and Peter and, uh, and Pilate. And there are very few other people that are actually named. So there's all sorts of, uh, of, of obscurity around some of these other people. Really, what John is doing is he is naming the people that are important to help understand what's going on. So the first question that the text calls us to ask is this question, who is the high priest? Who is the high priest? Now, it's interesting why this is the question. So in, it, it introduces us to his first. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Now, historically speaking, Annas was the high priest until about 15 AD. This trial, these events are taking place somewhere around 30 AD. So it's interesting, why would they bring him to Annas? Why not take him straight to Caiaphas? So this is already an odd thing that is going on, and it should cause the reader to say, why are they bringing him to Annas, not to Caiaphas? In fact, the, the text does this on purpose. It wants us to ask the question, who is actually the high priest? Now, historically, um, one thing we need to realize and remember historically is, is that Annas is then, he is the patriarch of the high priestly family. Uh, he had uh, five sons and son-in-laws, and all of them functioned in some role as the high priest during this time. Caiaphas was the one who was officially the high priest. So he was the one who was officially recognized as high priest, although the whole priestly family would have been seen as kind of having this high priestly role. And as since he had been the high priest before, while he was not officially in that position, according to the Jewish law in the Old Testament, the high priest was a high priest for life. So the people still recognized him as the high priest, although he was not acting in that role, and Caiaphas had that role. Textually, on the other hand, what the text wants us to understand, here in verse 13, it's already, asked us, it's already brought up this question, Annas or Caiaphas? Who's the one that's really important here? Well, then in verse 19, uh, in verse 19, it does the same thing. Uh, it says, uh, remember, they brought him to Annas to talk to him. And then in verse 19, it says, the high priest then questioned Jesus. And the careful reader would be like, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. I thought Caiaphas was the high priest. Why is Annas being called the high priest? Now, again, we know historically why. But here textually, it's causing the reader to be like, wait, wait, wait. Who's the high priest? Who's the guy? Right? And then in verse 24, it says, oh, yeah. and then they sent him to Caiaphas, who's the high priest. Right? So the text on purpose, let me under, I'll, I'll explain this, the text is on purpose confusing the reader. Now, it seems like kind of an odd thing to do, but why would the text 
do this. Who's the real high priest? Jesus. Jesus. So while Jesus is being bounced around from people being called high priests, and there's all this confusion on who the high priest actually is, the text wants you to ask the question, who is the high priest? And as scripture will tell us, Jesus is the true high priest. Right, who is highlighted here is that Annas and Caiaphas, they're not the real high priest. Jesus is the real high priest. Now the role of high priest is interesting. One of the roles of the high priest, especially during the time of Passover, was to present the lamb that would be sacrificed for the people. Jesus not only presents the lamb, but he is the lamb. More than any other high priest, every other high priest would just present the lamb and sacrifice the lamb, where Jesus says, I will be the lamb. So here, Jesus has, has shown himself to be the great high priest. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 14 and continuing uh, into chapter 5, uh, says this. It says about Jesus, it says, Since we, then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obliged to offer sacrifices for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes his honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by, by him who said of him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all those who obey him being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So who is the high priest? Who's the true high priest? The text is screaming to us, telling us Jesus is the true high priest. This will come up to be important to some things that happen later, and it already shows itself to be important. Um, from here then, we've, read, we've introduced some of these characters. We've been forced to ask this question, who is the high priest? Now the text draws on and moves into this really interesting pattern where it shows two events happening at the same time and jumps back and forth between them. It shows Peter denying Jesus the first time. Then it shows part of Jesus' trial. Then Peter again denying Jesus the second time. Now, one, it could be said, it could seem a little bit 
scattered to, to present this this way. But what John is doing is he is trying to show this as one unit. One passage interprets the other. These sections are meant to interpret one another. And we'll show exactly what we mean by that. So as we come to these passages, we shouldn't see them as just sporadic um, or, just, or just, okay, well, he's just showing two things happening at the same time. Rather, there is significance to what is going on here. Um, in verse 15 through 18, this first section uh, here, Peter and this other disciple are brought up. We're introduced to these two characters now, Peter and this other disciple. It says, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple, that is this another disciple, it's very likely and very possible this was John. We don't know for sure who this was. Again, John has this person anonymous for, uh, for textual reasons. Uh, Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. So we have this other disciple who goes in to the court where the high priest was. Right? He has some privileged position. He knows people. right, And he's able to get into the court where the high priest is. But notice what Peter does. But Peter stood outside. So there's a contrast already brought up between this other disciple and Peter. One goes inside, the other one stays outside. There is, a, the, there is definition, there, the, these two people are defined by their geographical location toward Jesus. right? Where they are geographically and then also showing spiritually where their direction is toward Christ at this moment. So but Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. But Peter didn't get very far. This person, this maid servant who would stand at the door, she was, her job was to know who came in and to know who, go, who went out. So she wants to know what's going on. So John or whoever this other disciple is explained, hey, I'm one of Jesus' followers. I want to come in. I'm, I'm coming in here to do this. And he says, and my friend Peter wants to come in too. And so she stops and asks Peter a really interesting question, an important question. She needs to know who he is. Um, and so she says, uh, when uh, he spoke to the servant girl, okay, um, the, servant at the, uh, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, verse 17, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? There's kind of a bit of snarkiness to the question, right? You're not one of his disciples also, are you? Like, you're, not, you're not part of this guy's team, are you? Look what Peter, how Peter responds. He says, I'm not. Now there's already a contrast here, right? She already knows that the other disciple is one of Jesus' followers. And she says, you're not one of his followers too, are you? And he says, nope, it's not me. I'm not. I'm not one of his disciples. And it says, Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. What's interesting about all this, Peter here first is supposed to be a disciple. Is he acting like one? No. There's a contrast between the one disciple and the other disciple. And then after denying Christ, where is Peter found? 
Look at who he's standing with. It says verse 18, the servants and officers. Now what servants? What officers? This would be probably the servants who work at the temple. The servants who work for the high priest. The officers who work for the officials, for the, for the, for the Jewish officials. These are Jesus' enemies. These are the ones who not hours before went into a garden and arrested Jesus. Who not a couple of hours before, as we'll also see here, Peter stood up for Jesus and cut somebody's ear off. And here he is now standing with them. The way this is described by standing and warming himself with them, this is a, a description of fellowship, of intimacy. Peter's not just hanging out by there trying to get warm. He's buddy-buddy with these guys. He's trying to blend in, right? These are the guys I want to be with. Hey, yeah, did you hear about that Jesus guy? Yeah, what's up with that, right? You know? He's trying to hang out with these guys who are Jesus' enemies. This is not a pretty picture being painted of Peter here. Now, before we get too far, I want to draw your attention to John chapter 21. There's another charcoal fire that, John stands, that Peter stands by. In fact, in John chapter 21, this is interesting, this is after Jesus' resurrection. In verse 9, and remember after Jesus' resurrection, he sees his disciples out fishing, and he says, Hey, have you caught anything? Right? And they haven't caught much, right? And he says, Cast your nets on the other side. What happens? Same as what's happened before. And they're already figuring this out. And Jesus is like, hey, come have breakfast. And Jesus already has a fire started. Look at how this fire is described. Check out this contrast. This is beautiful. It's the exact same language, 21 verse 9. And they got on land. They saw a charcoal fire in place. So Peter, part of this group, at one time he's standing by a charcoal fire hanging out with Jesus' enemies. And now after the resurrection, where does he find himself fellowshipping and having intimacy? It's back by Jesus' side, by another charcoal fire. And in fact, at the end of 21, Jesus will reinstate Peter and say, hey, follow me. Feed my disciples. He, he brings Peter back to full restoration, full relationship. So before we sit here and go, oh, Peter, that's not good. There's hope for Peter. And he's, he becomes restored. And just the same as we would look at ourselves and say, I'm Peter, and I'm the one standing with Jesus' enemies and trying to be buddy-buddy with them. There's hope. Jesus can and will restore you if you would let him. Amen. But continuing on, remember this is, these, these pieces of this story are all trying to explain each other. They're, they're interpreting one another. Then the scene shifts back to Jesus in his trial, says the high priest, then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly in the world. Right? This is, imagine this. They say, okay, what have you been teaching? Jesus, what have you been telling people? And he says, I haven't said anything secretly. What are you asking me for? Now remember, Jesus is a prisoner. Now imagine this. If you were to be in court and to stand before a judge and he says, hey, explain yourself. And you go, explain what? How is the judge going to respond to you? Probably not too well, right? The posture of a prisoner is one of humility, one of seeking, seeking to get 
uh, mercy here. And Jesus, instead of doing that, instead of seeking mercy here or trying to beg for his life, he stands as one who has authority. He says, he says, I've spoken openly in the world. I've always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Who's supposed to be doing the questioning right here? The high priest. And who starts doing the questioning? The true high priest. Right? He says, why do you ask me? And then he t- <laughs> Imagine telling the judge, now you do something. Jesus gives a command to the high priest. He says, ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. He tells him what to do. Showing again, he has the authority. But further, remember, these, these, these scenes are all interconnected. He says, ask those who follow me. Ask those who know my teaching. They can tell you what, I, what, I, what, uh, what I'm saying. They can tell you what I teach. In other words, what he says, what he is saying is, is my followers are faithful to me. But as we're seeing right now, one of his followers is not being faithful to it. Peter is being the anti-witness. Jesus says, you can call witnesses. The people who have heard me, the people who follow me, they're faithful. They'll tell you exactly what I've been teaching. And you have Peter who is functioning as the opposite of a witness. Instead of telling them the truth and telling them who he is and telling him his relation to Jesus, he rather closes the book and says, that's not me. So this is, this is uh, so he continues uh, then, uh, says, that then uh, when, when he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? This would have been highly irregular. Generally, somebody standing on trial, you would not hit them uh, when they're on trial. And this guy, bam! Is that how you talk to the high priest? And remember, the question that, we've all, that the text has already been calling us to ask is who is the high priest? And pointing us to the fact that Jesus is the high priest. He is the true high priest. So when this guy asks this question, the question we should come back with is, is that the way to treat the real high priest? By smacking him? Doesn't sound like a good idea either. <clears throat> then Jesus says, and Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. He trades him off. It's okay. I'm done. Send him to Caiaphas. Then we get contrasted back to Peter. And here we are seeing Peter standing and warming himself just where he was, where we left him off. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. This is interesting right here. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. Think about that. I'm pretty sure I just saw you cut my friend's, my, my relative's ear off. I'm pretty sure that was you, right? He says to him, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once, the rooster crowed. Now, Jesus had already predicted this, right? He had told Peter at the Last Supper, he said, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows this morning. And what happens? Three times. Peter denies him, and then the rooster crows. Could you imagine what was going through Peter's mind at that moment? 
remembering the conversation he had mere hours earlier. Saying, what have I done? This call then that Jesus gives to us is a challenge to be a witness. It's a challenge to be a faithful witness. We see Peter, who is the anti-witness. We see Jesus, who says, those who follow me testify about me truthfully. We see this contrast. Jesus then calls us to be a faithful witness. And again, I want to sh- reiterate this, that Peter messes up here. You may have messed up in this area of sharing the gospel with others. You may not have been faithful like you think you should be. There's restoration available just like there was for Peter. But the truth of the matter still remains. You must be about witnessing for the gospel. We must be sharing our faith with others. In fact, there is an opportunity to do that in just a few weeks. An opportunity to learn how to share the gospel. If you're thinking, I don't know how to share the gospel with somebody. I don't know enough about the Bible to share that with somebody. Well, starting September 11th, we'll be able to do that and walk through that curriculum together. I would encourage you to already be thinking about that. Second challenge we have here is, is, uh, is a challenge to choose the true king. Then, the, So we've seen this challenge to be a faithful witness, and now the gears shift. There's now the, this Jewish trial is over, and now the trial moves to the Roman authorities. Right? Uh, verse, uh, verse 28 says, They led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. Now we're going to Rome. Not literally Rome, but the officer, the, the governor who would have been Rome for the people of Jerusalem. He was the representative of Rome. This is the man named Pilate. It says it was early, it was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters. Now think about this. This is, this is so interesting what's going on here. They are so concerned. Remember today is the day they're on right now is Passover. It's a big feast day. They are so concerned about staying religiously pure that they will not even walk into the house of the guy that they want to condemn Jesus to death. They said, we can't, we can't be unclean. We can't go into his house. While they're trying to murder someone, they're concerned about whether or not they go into a Gentile's house. This is so strange what's happening here. This is so, so backwards in some ways. And this is what's meant to bring out to us. Says they themselves did not enter the governor's house so they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. Because if they walked into a Gentile's house, they couldn't have that Passover meal. So we got to stay outside the house. And then it gets even more crazy. This, this here, uh, in, this, in these passages, in verse pretty much from here until 1916, we see this movement from outside to inside to outside to inside and back and forth from outside to inside. We'll see this throughout the passage. This is what's going on. This is, this is how John has, 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 uh, has uh, organized all of this. So Pilate went outside and said to them, what accusation do you bring against this man? What do you do wrong? Right? He might be a little annoyed. It's pretty early in the morning. Right? He already doesn't like where he is, probably. He, being a Roman, he probably is not too thrilled about having to be in Jerusalem uh, and, and, and all that kind of thing. So, so he's probably a little bit annoyed. He says, what, what accusation are you bringing against this man? Now look how they respond. Pilate said to them, or, um, they, they answered him, If this man were not doing evil, would we have delivered him over to you? They completely ignored the question. What did he do? 
course he was bad. Why would we be here if he wasn't bad? Duh. Right? They completely ignore the question and get kind of snarky. I'm sure that probably annoyed the living daylights out of Pilate. Right? And then Pilate said, <laughs> Pilate gives them, he says, take him and do what you want according to your own law. He tries to distance himself from the situation. He says, take him yourself and judge him by your own law. He basically, at this point, gives them full authority. Do whatever you want and take care of it. It's your problem. Why are you bringing me into this? Right? We'll see that Pilate continues to do this. But then, check this out. This gives the motive of the Jews and shows exactly where they were at. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Now, to understand this, according to the law, they could put someone to death by stoning them to death. The problem was, is that today is Passover. So it was not lawful for them, for them to put someone to death on Passover. So basically, Pilate gives them full authority, do whatever you want to, and they say, well, we can't kill him because that would make us religiously unclean again. In other words, they're saying, we want to do something illegal? Is that okay? Right? We, we can't kill him. Can you do it? We don't want to get our hands dirty. We want you to, have, to be the one to do that. And then it says, verse 32, this is to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus had already predicted that he would be crucified, that he would die on the cross. The cross was an instrument of Roman torture. The Jews did not have authority to put someone to crucifixion. The Jewish punishment would have been death by stoning or some, some taking big rocks and throwing them at him until they're, de they're dead. Not drugs, okay, guys? Come on now. Let's be mature. <laughs> so, so, you know, they would put him to death by, by throwing big rocks at him. And that, that, was, that was the Jewish punishment for death would, would have been like that. And instead, Jesus had already predicted that he would be crucified. And so here is showing exactly what's going on. This is, what is this telling us? Who's in control of the situation? Jesus is. The one on trial is the one who's really in control. So I know this is going to happen. I know exactly what's happening. Jesus isn't surprised by this. He's not shocked by this. Rather, he is in full control of this entire proceeding. So then Pilate entered his headquarters again. Now they go in, entered in his headquarters and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? This question could have been, take, can be taken either one of two ways. Either he's saying, are you a king like you? Who are you? Why do you think you're a king? Or he might be asking, do you consider yourself to be a king? Again, either way, it's not a nice question, right? He asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord? Or, is, or, or did others say this about me? Now remember, Pilate is trying to distance himself from the situation as much as possible. What does Jesus do? He says, nope, you're in the thick of it. What do you think? Do you think I'm the king of the Jews? He draws him in and says, you have to make a decision. Who do you think I am? Right? He doesn't let Pilate say, well, I don't know who you are, whatever. He says, no, you have, to be, you have to make a decision. Who do you think I am? Pilate said, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Right? Distancing himself again. I'm not Jewish. If you're their king, that's, that's up to you guys. That has nothing to do with me. 
Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. What he's saying here is not that his kingdom is not this world or that his, or that his kingdom is somewhere else. He's saying the authority of my kingdom doesn't come from them. It doesn't come from you. The authority that he has in his kingdom comes from somewhere else. It comes from the Lord. It comes from above. He's saying he's talking about the authority of his kingdom. My kingdom, the authority of my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Is that what you're saying? Are you saying you're a king? Did I catch you? And Jesus says, Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. Just saying what you said, right? Now, again, we know that Jesus is the king. He is the true king. We know that. We know that the gospel has already explained that to us. We already know that because he's just explained the, where his authority comes from. And now Pilate thinks he has trapped him and Jesus instead says, you're the one that said I'm a king. <clears throat> for this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I've come to the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Now, that's an odd way to end an interrogation, right? If you're standing before a judge, he probably would not say, what is truth? All right, you're condemned. That'd be a weird way to end the, to end the, to end the whole thing, right? So this is intentionally, it's brought to, so the reader goes, what is truth? Yeah, that's a good question. Now, remember, now think about this. What has Jesus said before? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Pilate's question itself is, is misguided. He wants to know what truth is when in fact who truth is is the question he should have asked. The one who is truth was standing before him. He asked this question, what is truth to the one who is truth? Then at the end of chapter 18, after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Remember, we've already had this high priest question going on. We already know this is going on at the Passover. One of the things that the high priest would do is he would declare, he would find a lamb, he would examine it. Look for any blemish, look for any spots, look for any guilt. And then he would declare, this lamb is clean. And look, notice what Pilate does. He has examined the lamb of God. He's checked him out. He's asked to find out if there's anything wrong with him. And what does he say? find no fault in him. Jesus is the perfect Passover lamb, fulfilling the law, fulfilling this sacrifice, fulfilling this holiday. But you have a custom that I should release one man to you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. In other words, Pilate says, all right, you've got a choice now. There's this guy that I don't find anything wrong with him. Or there's this guy that has pillaged your villages. He's caused problems. He's arrested because he's a bad dude. Which one do you want? And they say, we'll take Barabbas. We'll take him. Now, this is interesting. The word Barabbas, the name itself, literally means son of the father. 
right? The name would have been, his dad was somebody named Abba, right? Barabbas would be like son of some guy named Abba, right? And Abba means father, so literally means son of the father. This guy is also described as a robber. Now, otherwise, that would be a fairly, just a, you know, something that's, an, you know, just an interesting fact to know about the guy. However, Jesus has already talked about robbers. When he talked about being the good shepherd, he contrasted himself with the robbers who kill and destroy and steal. He said, I'm the good shepherd and I give life, whereas the robbers kill and destroy and, and steal. The good shepherd, then, Jesus has tell, told us in chapter 10, verse 11, gives life and lays down his life for his sheep. And here in this, in this scene, we see the Jewish people, where the Jews have chosen the exact opposite of what they really need. They have chosen the robber instead of the good shepherd and have chosen the wrong son of the father. They've made the exact opposite decision of what they really needed. So we ask ourselves this question, how often do we choose the exact opposite of what we need? It's easy for us to put ourselves and say, well, I'm Pilate, right? I'm the guy that's like, hey, he's clean, there's nothing wrong. Or, or maybe I'm, I'm Peter that's just kind of, you know, he's over there and, and he's messing up and hey, I can understand that I mess up too. And we look at the Jews and we say, oh, I'd never do that. But how often do we choose something else other than Jesus? Money, sex, entertainment, power, family, even. Those are not the things that we need. Rather, we need Jesus. This passage calls us to choose the true king, the one who is the truth and the good shepherd, because only he can bring life. And finally, we look at the end of this trial and the beginning of Jesus' torment. We discover that we are challenged to realize that we are the ones who yelled, crucify him. Again, this inside-outside continues. I'm going to go through this as quickly as I can. It says, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. This was no mere beating. In fact, the instrument that was used was called a flagella. It was a, it was a stripped... Uh, this, uh, when, when someone was flogged, they were stripped naked. And this flagella, was a, it was a leather whip that had pieces of it stuck off, kind of like a cat of nine tails, if you know what that is. And on the end of this, of this whip would be tied pieces of glass or pieces of bone or pieces of iron so that it would rip into the skin and tear shreds off. I apologize. I know there are children in here. This is the reality of what Christ went through. It was not a pretty picture. It was a gruesome beating. The purpose of this kind of beating was to bring shame and humiliation on the person. It was also done publicly, so it would bring shame and humiliation on their entire family. But not only do they abuse his body, they also abuse his reputation. Look at this, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these. The thorns are not like a rosebush thorns. These are thorns that are about that long. And they twisted these thorns together into a, into a a crown 
Now again, with that long of thorns, it probably would just sit on top of the head. What they would do then, what they did to Jesus, is they took that and they beat it into his head. So those thorns gouged right into his skull. This is not a pretty picture. This is not some fancy thing that you see on a, on a, on a pretty picture in a church. This is a gruesome and horrifying event. They also then cover him with a purple robe. And I'll imagine this, after having been beaten within an inch of his life, his body broken, his skin ripped to shreds, they put a piece of cloth on that. Have you ever put something on an open wound? It sticks. It's painful. They cover him with a purple robe and this crown of thorns to cover his shameful nakedness. But they dress him as a king in order to add to the shame. Twisted together with a crown of thorns and put on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Very likely they bowed before him in mocking gesture and said, Hail, King of the Jews. Little did they know that one day they would bow and confess that Jesus Amen. is Lord. Amen. Philippians 2 tells us that everyone will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. Amen. Then verse 4, it explains that it goes back, Pilate goes back outside. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. He says for a second time, he's not guilty. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to him, Behold the man. Look at him. Draw your attention to him. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Third time he says it. The Jews answered, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he's made himself the son of God. Now the truth comes out. Now they finally are willing to say what it is that they're bringing him to trial for. Now imagine Pilate, someone who believes that there are multiple gods and someone who believes that these gods sometimes come and visit us, right? This terrifies the living daylights out of Pilate. This is no longer just a political thing or some guy who, made, who did something stupid. This is now somebody, this has become a religious issue quickly. And religious issues can cause major, major problems. And says, Pilate responds, he says, uh, he says, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he goes back in, he enters his headquarters again and says to Jesus, where are you from? Probably want to know, are you from this earth or are you from heaven? Like, what's going on here? I really don't want to be killing a God right now. That would be a bad idea, right? He's scared. Where are you from? And Jesus gave him no answer. Now we would think, that's got to be the question that you answer, right? That's got to be the question. But Jesus doesn't answer him. Then we ask the question, why not? Jesus doesn't answer him because he says, you have, he, it, it, really what Jesus is getting at here is a complete affront to Pilate. It's really offensive to not answer him. He basically is telling Pilate, you have no authority to judge where I'm from. I have that authority. You don't have that authority. You have no place to decide whether or not I'm the son of God. 
He entered the headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Again, Pilate thinks a little bit much of himself compared to what Jesus is thinking here. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Now, Jesus doesn't say, Pilate, you have no sin. Oh, yeah, Pilate's definitely in sin right now. But the ones who delivered him over to him have a greater sin, is what Jesus tells him. From then on, verse 12, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat him on the judgment seat at a, at a place called the Stone Pavement in an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? Chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. And delivered him over to them to be crucified. Notice what the Jews have done. Think historically speaking. The Jews were waiting for a Messiah who was going to save them from Rome. They didn't like being part of Rome. They didn't like Caesar. They didn't have, want to have anything to do with Rome. But here they are on their hands and knees begging for Rome to do something. And instead of choosing God as their king, they say, we have no king but Caesar. They have traded their God for an earthly king. They have traded their savior for tyranny. Think about this even more in contrast to what's going on at Passover. Passover was a celebration of the Israelites being freed from a tyrannical government, from Egypt, from the Pharaoh. They were saved, they were freed, they were liberated. And they said, we choose bondage. We would rather be bound in chains than to, than to keep our Savior alive. They made their choice. It is our sin that put Christ through this. Our sins scream, crucify him. Now praise him that he did. He took our punishment so that we could have life. Will you trade your savior for some other king, for some other idol? Or will you worship Jesus, the one who gave himself up for you? Will you put your faith in him today? Will you respond and worship? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. God, thank you for this. This narrative, Lord, that walks us through your trial. Lord, thank you for the cross. Apart from your sacrificial death, apart from this crucifixion, we could not have life. But Lord, let us never forget that it is our sin. It's not somebody else's sin. It is our sin. It is our wrongdoing. It is our evil that brought you through this. 
Lord, I pray if there's someone here who does not know you as Savior. God, because of your cross, you offer life, you offer hope, you offer salvation. I pray, Lord, that rather than choose bondage, we would choose freedom, we would choose life instead of death. I pray if there's someone here who does not know you, that they would have the courage to talk to someone today, to talk to me, to talk to Wayne, to talk to Todd, to talk to someone here who can share with them how they can know that they have a relationship with you, that they have life. Lord, I pray that this would draw us and push us forward to know and to become faithful witnesses. Lord, as we move into a time where we're going to focus on evangelism, I pray that we would be preparing our hearts now and be active now to be faithful witnesses. Amen. Please stand.